Hello, welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? This episode is called Chastity is Not a Dirty Word. This is an ongoing part of a series called Whole, Both Body and Soul, Part 18, essentially why I'm Catholic. Let's get started. If you don't believe in heaven, if you don't believe in heaven outside of space and time, then you have to try to find it here on earth, and you won't. But you will spend a lifetime looking for it. You'll be looking for it. It's without a doubt. That's what we're all looking for. And you may think you found it for a minute, but it's fleeting. There is no metaphor used more often as an illustration of heaven than sex. And there is no more apt metaphor for the illusion of an earthly heaven as well, because no matter how much sex you have, you still have most of the day where you are not doing it. After the ecstasy, the march of hours awaits. You might even say this is the difference between pop music and the blues, where pop music suggests that good feelings set you free, and the blues and country music, which is a form of the blues, confirm the aftermath of those good feelings. Uh, Belinda Carlisle sings, You Make Heaven a Place on Earth. And Bill Withers reports from Act Two of Life, after you've made a lover your idol, and she fails to live up to it, he says, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. What we substitute for God is the definition of an idol. It's a word we don't like to use much today because it sounds old-fashioned, but what substitutions we use for God, that is what an idol is. It's what it means. And sex is the number one greatest hit substitution of all time. But it's not the only thing. There are others. There is the, the next big thing, especially in technology right now. There's the exotic the new, the sensory high, the perfect partner, the perfect society, um, a flawless family, a career, a new spouse, uh, a life where we are never offended or hurt. There's sports teams that we idolize, uh, cars and boats, celebrities, but all of these substitutes prove to be as empty um, as trophies that sit on a shelf in the long run. Why? Because they are substitutes. They are like Splenda or Equal instead of real cane sugar. They taste similar, but they are artificial replacements that lack nourishment. So all of our substitutes for God are attempts to arrange the world in a way that we want it, in a struggle with how God set this world up for us to live in. So we're always fighting that reality. Like it or not, we are here, and even the mystics and the mindful today, they have to come back to earth to eat and go to the bathroom. Um, There's no substitutes for the needs of both the body and the soul. And this is why our relationship to God must be personal for the good of the soul, and our relationship to food, drink, sex, and all of creation must be personal for the good of the body. You will never arrive at heaven here in this world. Good feelings do not equal heaven. I don't care how hot she is. I don't care how delicious the cake is. I don't care how high the drug takes you. You will never find peace in any of those things, and billions have tried it. And billions have come down that mountain empty-handed. The illusions fade, the high wears off, youth, beauty, power, and wealth fades. And in the 21st century, nowhere is this illusion more obvious than in these areas of sports, careers, relationships, and entertainment. Everyone is squabbling over these scraps as if they would bring eternal life, and they won't. So no, you will never arrive at heaven here in this world, but you can get a peek of it. It's just not via the ways that the world promises and the media today, most of all, from Disney to Victoria's Secret Marketing to OnlyFans, porn stuff, 
Um, they pretend that sex is the key to unlocking heaven here on earth. Um, Disney has a kind of a different approach than the other two I mentioned, but they're still selling a mirage in the desert that offers no living water to those who pursue it. The reason a lot of fairy tales end in happily ever after is it's kind of a nice ending. It's also kind of a joke because we know that's not how things happen, um, but it sounds good. Um, you need something more substantial, something steady, rock solid, and unchanging to provide the food for your life, for your hope, and for your peace. That food is from the bread of life, both divine and human. That peace comes through a relationship and prayer and humility before God and any other angle or technique, and it's not going to happen. It's just not. You cannot bootstrap your way to heaven. Uh, as long as you try to be the potter instead of the pot, as long as you try to shape everything into the shape you want instead of conforming your will to God's will, you will be searching for something that did not exist in the beginning, is not now, and never will be. There is only one that was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. So I know many, many people, including myself, that have tried to find it the quick and easy way and didn't get what they wanted. Uh, worse, many have got what they wanted and found that it wasn't really what they were looking for. It's interesting to watch people get what they want and then start chasing the next thing. I did this repeatedly for many years until I finally landed on the one thing that fulfills all desire. What's interesting is that sex became a centerpiece of what we think of as fulfillment, and today chastity has become the dirty word. That which, not, which dare not speak its name, it is not adultery or homosexuality or pornography. No, not anymore. It's chastity. Now, is anyone surprised by this? If you grew up in the last 50, 70 years, it's really not surprising. I can recall watching a thousand TV shows way back, like Doogie Howser um, to Desperate Housewives to Game of Thrones, and hearing a thousand songs from Led Zeppelin to Snoop Dogg to Rihanna uh, that suggested that virginity and chastity were not something to celebrate, but something to be mocked and really reviled. Virginity was, be, was to be removed as quickly as possible, like a malignant tumor. Uh, that is the environment and message that anyone growing up with a TV in the last 50 years experienced. Um, and it's always teaching us. The TV is teaching us something even when we think it's not. Most men have a story of the first Playboy centerfold they witnessed or other magazine, which opened the door to artificial concept of women and sex, very artificial concepts. Upon sight, as soon as boys saw that, I can still remember where I was when I saw my first one, those images, they were embossed into the memory, into my memory. Sear, they're seared like a steak on a blazing hot grill. You cannot unsee pornography. And millions of men are stuck in that rut now um, because women have become objects of pleasure and nothing more. So today, thanks to science and technology, billions of children who are raised on iPhones have this capability to discover what cannot be unseen, and they, see, they can see it whenever they wish. And if anyone is paying attention, a lot of these kids are having severe problems with pornography. They're growing up. They can't shake it. It's an addiction. So here's my thesis on all of this. Here's what I believe has happened over this period of time. Men have failed women. Men have failed women. That's the answer. More precisely, men have failed to grow up and take responsibility. We tend to think of education and career as signs of maturity, but these are false signals. A career is not 
growing up. It does not indicate maturity. Nice possessions do not indicate maturity. A mortgage does not make a man. A laundry list of experiences do not lead to wisdom. All of these things have been promoted as giving purpose to life, and none of them do that. They are, these are all selfish things, which are not bad by themselves, but when placed as the highest thing, lead to the abandonment and rejection of women who become just another object to obtain, use, and discard. If you read uh, the history of the sexual revolution, it was not driven by women. This is probably the greatest myth of our era, uh, more damaging than the UFO mythology and much less fun. Um, The UFO mythology is actually fun, um, even if it's ridiculous. The sexual revolution was driven by men, by so many Peter Pans who weren't stuck in in, an innocent childhood, but were rather stuck in perpetual adult adolescence. Uh, playing adults while acting like college sophomores forever afterward. There's a lot of um, baby boomers who do this. Um, Also, every generation after that, it just kind of gets worse. So here's something you need to consider and examine very seriously to understand and deprogram yourself from what you've been sold. The birth control movement was not about women. The abortion movement was not about women. Neither of those movements was for the benefit of women. It was always about men, and it was always about men getting away with treating women like objects, like single-use throwaway humans, and taking no responsibility for the sex that they wanted to have without acting as fathers and husbands. And that's the dirty secret of the whole sexual revolution. It wasn't about freedom for women. It was about freedom for men. The fact that everyone bought into it doesn't justify it any more than slavery was justified by bad faith interpreters. So no, the argument of uh, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. That's a bad argument. It doesn't hold up, especially when it comes to issues of faith and morals. The fact that Americans and Europeans buy the modern identity lies just illustrates how well the sales pitch and the demonstration was, but we are now all witness to the real world application and the disaster it has brought over the past 50 or 70 years. As I've mentioned in this series, there are three parts to a sale. The pitch, the demonstration, and the real-world application, like once it's purchased. The pitch and the demo looked really good on all these things, uh, but now we see the fruit of buying a bad product. And this should be where the second sale fails, and it should fail because the product and idea that was sold didn't work, as you can see a lot of collapse happening in all of our society. Um, When the first sale had a good pitch and an initial demonstration, um, but the product flops in the real world, the second sale should never happen unless the buyer is a real sucker. And we will find out in this Generation Z if the suckers are really suckers or if the world turns back to the truth. One thing is certain, and this has been written about from Plato's Republic to the Book of Judges to the fall of ancient Rome and 20th century nationalism, a calamity must come from a bad idea that has taken hold of a people before they are awakened to repentance. There is a spiritual combat on a, spir- on a personal level and on a group level. And of course, the only way to win on both levels is to fight the spiritual warfare, starting with myself. That means each person has to fight the spiritual war personally. Now, a good salesperson can ram that second sale through. So the sexual revolution, which I think is a bad term because it makes it sound like it's like it's some sort of progress. Um, We can see how it's falling apart everywhere. Um, 
So will the next generation purchase that same bad idea? They often do because some salespeople are so good, they can convince a person who's like on fire to uh, throw gas on themselves. I've watched them do it to customers who should absolutely ditch a software product, but the salesman has such a good rapport. He's so um, good at getting a purchase order out of customers that he will somehow sell them the same thing that's basically eating their business. But eventually, with a bad product, the employees, the buyers, and the users will revolt. But no, let me rephrase that. Um, They don't so much revolt as simply withdraw support. Um, Employees leave a company that is doing something in a bad way. Buyers write bad reviews and users find a new method of doing their work. That's uh, just, they just withdraw. Eventually when, when they're forcing some bad idea on people, people withdraw. In other words, in seeking the good, People go elsewhere when bad ideas are selected and insisted upon and, and shoved down their throat. You can see this today in public schools and police forces where bad ideas have been selected by the governors and administrators. Um, it's rare, and I talk to, I, I know a fair amount of teachers and policemen and police women who are not, they're, they're praying for the day they hit 20 years of service so they can lock in their pension and quit um, and find or find a new way to increase their years in government service just so long as it's not in the public school or in the police force. They are withdrawing. So the people that were in there are withdrawing. Um, as, as we are made in the image and likeness of God, we actually act in ways that mimic God without even knowing it in some things. In choosing sin, we do not act like God, but in pursuing the good, true, and beautiful, we do act like God. And, and why is that? Because what we are really pursuing is God himself, heaven. We want to be with God. We want to be in heaven. We want to get there. That's the whole point of all of our actions. We just don't usually realize it. So for those who think God causes bad things to happen, he doesn't. He acts just like employees, buyers, and users of a bad product. He simply withdraws and he allows the chaos to re-enter. Recall how the Bible opens where God stretches his hand out over the, quote, watery chaos. That's That's the first, the very opening. We are never far from that chaos, and all that keeps us from it is God's hand. Uh, The universe could be snapped out of existence right now if God merely tweaked the gravitational constant by a hundredth or a thousandth or a millionth. Um, Many do not understand what the great flood story is about in Genesis because we don't teach it properly to children. Uh, So we just think it's like folklore about animals and a localized flood and, you know, in the Middle East, like, we just think it's this cute story, but it's not about that. It's, it's, it's at a deeper level than that. You have to go to the deeper level. God does not send the flood. Uh, he simply withdraws his protection over sinful people because they have adopted a substitute for God. They've rejected him. And since they refuse to turn back to God, he simply stops holding the chaos back. He's not sending the flood. He's just letting the water rise. The deluge happens on its own as he no longer graces creation with order. He allows the full disorder to occur again, the watery chaos. I didn't understand what watery chaos meant until my own near drowning in the Ironman race. But once I was floating in a stormy lake and really uh, thought I might drown, the penny dropped on the meaning of what watery chaos is like and why we use water as a metaphor for chaos so often. This withdrawing of God also happens at the Tower Tower of Babel story, where God withdraws from sinful people and scatters them in really 
by his leaving, they scatter themselves because disorder comes. He doesn't send us sin. We create it. We choose it. And then he lets uh, us play it out. He lets it all play out like the loving father in the prodigal son. So if you think of the loving father in the prodigal son, um, God says, uh, well, think of it this way. God says, I've given you free will. And he's like the father in the story. And he says, so if you want to drink, younger son, if you want to go whore around, you can do that. But you can't do it here, and you can't do it with my blessing. So you're on your own. He gives him his money. The prodigal son goes out, screws up his life, is eating with the pigs. And then you notice that the father and the prodigal son gives the wild child his money. He lets him go. And the wild child doesn't bring the prostitutes into his father's house. Um, God remains perfect. And he goes chasing foolish substitutes. So you could say that either we withdraw from God or he withdraws from us. But either way, he is good and loving. And the choice of rejection via substitution is always, always one that we make, not God. Oh, that's part one of this series. I'm going to add more. I'm going to have three more parts to this. And I hope uh, you come back for the next ones because we're going to get into more about why chastity is not a dirty word why it's meaningful, and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening.